0: Welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week's episode is called, It's Never Personal, (laughs) And I think next week I'm going to kind of, like, join this episode with one that's called The Call is Coming from Inside the House, which is a horror movie reference. Um, it comes from those, like, babysitter urban legends, you know, where, like, the babysitter keeps checking on the... Or no, the babysitter keeps getting phone calls and keeps getting, like, harassed by... um someone while she's babysitting the kids. And then he's like, have you checked the kids? And you know, and then she ends up finding out that the call is coming from inside the house. So these two are joined together because it's never personal is, is a, a just a truth that has been so helpful for me along my journey. Um, because <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul and as a sensitive soul, other people's bullshit can really, really get to you. And and sometimes things feel really personal or they seem really personal. Or people, when people are projecting their bullshit onto you, it can they can want to make it personal, but the reality is it never is. It's always a battle that person is fighting within themselves. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> um, and that's just really helpful for me as, uh, like a tool of perspective, you know, and, and while I also want to do an episode on holding grudges because your bitch loves a grudge, (laughs) um, I also have learned how to let them go and how really for me, the distance protecting myself, loving myself enough to walk away, to walk on, hashtag, um saves me from you know self-harming behaviors like holding grudges or holding on to anger or resentment. I can really release everything when I prioritize my own safety, my mo- own mental health and my own self-love and boundaries. So, I guess this is going to be sort of a 3 a 3 for 1 <laughs> a 3 for 3 dealio, but well, we're going to start with it's never personal because I think that's the starting point of all of it. And this is this is the part, you know, holding grudges um, is something from you to the other person, right? The call is coming from inside the house is like what's going on in your own head. And it's never personal. It's sort of like from the other person to you. So let's say like you have a friend who is a little bit toxic, you know, seems to kind of hold that pathological jealousy. If you haven't listened to my Toxic Friends episode, I don't remember what number it was. It was a ways back. You hear my dog clickety clacking. It was a ways back. But if you haven't listened to that, like how to spot a toxic friend episode, go listen to it. I'll go more into detail in that. But, you know, you have a toxic friend, someone who's kind of pathologically jealous, is always competitive, is always sort of like, you know, can't fully be there for you, can't fully champion you or cheerlead you or support you in the way that you need, doesn't give you a compliment without also insulting you, Um, maybe sort of seems to like root for your downfall in a way. And, you know, you can feel, I will speak for myself, I have certainly felt when I have been mixing and, uh, <laughs> mixing and mashing <laughs> with those types of people, um, I tend to feel like, what am I doing wrong? You know, maybe if I work harder, this person will love me the way I need. Maybe if I can be more fun, this person will get excited about what I'm doing. Maybe if I can be even better, they'll get on my team. You know, maybe it's something, some fault in me, some... A deficit in me that makes them not show up for me. You know, maybe there's something more I can do. Maybe there's something more I can be to earn that love. And that's where we get to the part of like, it's not personal. Where if someone is jealous of you, if, you're, if your light makes someone feel like theirs isn't shining, if if someone is in that kind of scarcity mindset of like, There's only so much good in the world. And if you have some, it means I have less. Like that is an issue within them. They aren't tapped into the abundance of life. They aren't tapped into the infinite reservoir of love that is them. They aren't like in alignment with their own. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race. They aren't in alignment with their own charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, honey. (laughs) They are... You know, it's their own deficit that makes them create a deficit in their relationship with you. And I've experienced this a ton because most people are out here wounded. Most people are out here having not been loved properly by their parents, not supported by society. You know, the the powers that be, like the matrix itself really benefits from, from us, each of us being um having distance having being unconscious to our own light our own joy our own specialness our own like essence you know from the good we can bring to the world from our talents from our genius from our passions the matrix the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy really thrives when we aren't in touch with our own greatness and capitalism you know there's this belief amongst capitalists that believes that competition creates greatness. You know, that being competitive with each other is what fosters innovation. And while I think it can look like that on the surface, I, I think that people thrive the most and shine the most when they're supported, when their needs are met, when they're in community, when they're being applauded, you know, when they have support. That's why, like, <laughs> you know, we have this, like, belief of, like, you know, that ex- the extremely talented are, like, one in a million and that there's something inherently better about them than, than in us regular people until one of us regular people ends up being one of the specials but it's like really we all have that within us everyone is great at at least one thing usually a multitude of things you know and I think that the pressure of capitalism and the pressure of of competition, the, the constant feeling of like, I'm too old. I'm not good enough. I'm too late. There's so many people doing what I want to do. What's the point of even trying? Or like that imposter syndrome that comes from comparing yourself to others, yourself to others is what keeps people from even trying. And it's like, is that really, um, encouraging innovation? No, because think about all the people who are lost to the odds stacked against them. You know, how many people, how many, how much genius is stifled in just making ends meet or in untreated mental illness or in a lack of belief in oneself or in a lack of support and community. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've thought about quitting. I was thinking about quitting a month ago because like there's just no, (laughs) I'm just screaming into the void and the, the void, it doesn't have a lot to offer back. And you have to have such like nerves of steel and such like such deep roots of self-love and self-belief. And you have to have such a strong commitment to purpose, to even stay the course. Like this is not for the faint of heart, but it could be if we didn't have to, if money and survival weren't all tied up in it. You know, I was talking about a couple weeks ago how I've, like, gone back to a day job and... And oh my gosh, like the amount of time I have to devote to the things that I really love and want to do is so scarce and it's like so little and I spend so little of my time with the people I love, doing the things I love, experiencing joy and don't get me wrong, I do a good job of like finding little pockets And being grateful, and and I do love the momentum of of being on the move. I do kind of like love being busy in a lot of ways, and I am just much better at taking care of myself than the last time I was working like this. My life—I'm not being abused, you know. (laughs) I'm not eating gluten. I'm sober. Like, there's a lot better in my life this time than the last time I was working. My perspective is a lot better, you know. Like, I just. I'm a lot more mature and so I'm not hating it as much, but it does still take like most of my time and most of my energy. And I have so little left when the day is done for the things that are actually important to me that it is, you know, it can break your heart. (laughs) It can break your spirit and it can definitely break your belief in yourself. And so all this to say that like, we are up against a, a machine that, that wants us to feel like shit, that wants us to see someone else doing what we love and thinking like, you know, they're, they just got lucky or like they're inherently better than me, or they really have their shit together and I don't, or like that person is already holding space. That person is in the spot that I want to be in. So I guess I can't get there too. And this is what causes things like, you know, sort of dog piling on the internet or like people just being really hateful, trolls. Like, you know, Brene Brown talks about this thing of like it's I think it's a Theodore Roosevelt quote where it's like, you know, I love this quote. It makes me cry every time she reads it (laughs) because I'm just a corn dog like that. But it's about like how if you're in the arena and you're dirty sweat covered bloody tired from the fight you know you're like doing the damn thing it's none of your business what the spectators in this in the stands have to say you know they're watching you like they're not doing it they're not dirty they're not tired they're not hurt they haven't risked anything what is their opinion why is their opinion of any consequence to you like you're not playing the same game um but they sure do run their mouths, you know, they sure do have a lot to say. And again, it's because they're not tap- tapped into their own divinity. Another, like, way you can look at this is in stan culture, like, in fandoms, how these people are, like, you know, crying over, you know, touching John Lennon's hand or <laughs> like, an old reference. I don't know who's, like, famous like that today, honestly, because I've lost all touch with pop culture, but, you know, it's, like, these people who, if you say something bad about Taylor Swift on the internet, here they come telling you to kill themselves, kill yourself. It's just, like, that that attachment, those parasocial relationships, those aren't even personal, you know? I think the celebrity can really take it, like, You know, if you're a jerk before you're famous, you're a super jerk once you become famous. If you're a jerk before you're rich, you're a super jerk when you become rich. Um, It's like an addiction. If you're a jerk before you're an addict, (laughs) you're going to be real fun to be around um, once you're struggling with addiction. So, like, it just takes your personality and, like, amps it up. And a lot of people, like, to make it in a capitalist industry, you kind of have to be A little bit of a monster I mean that's not to say that good people don't make it but I think like really kind people with integrity are few and far between because there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into making it in an industry like the you know any art industry or really any like corporate like job or you know anyone who rises politics anyone who rises to the top probably has like a empathy chip or two missing. Um not to say everyone, but like I mean, look at the facts. Proof is in the pudding. So, a lot of people who get these sort of like rabid fandoms, these like die-hard people who just worship the ground they walk on, they're like I deserve this. This is personal. These people love me for me. Or you get the like wah, 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 I can't walk down the street, you know, like my, I have no privacy, I have no life, and it's like, yeah, I bet that sucks, (laughs) like, it's also like, well, you have all the money in the world, and, you know, boo-hoo, you shouldn't hoard so much wealth, maybe, but, you know, it, I think it is, like, a bit of a, of a, um, a trap, you know, because then you're like beholden to all these people whose bills you pay and you can't leave your house and you can't be a normal person. And you are in fact a normal person. So it's important to not buy your own press and to like stay grounded in the fact that you are a normal, real person. You're, you know, you're flesh and blood. You live this life. You have feelings (laughs) and you're no more special than anyone else. And to think like, yes, I deserve this praise. Give me this praise. Um, I'm entitled to it, and I can treat anyone who I deem as less than me any type of way because I've earned this for being so special or even like being such a hard worker or whatever. It's just like, it's not personal. You know, these people who are wrapped up in you in this parasocial relationship with you, they're lonely. They're misguided. They're detached from their own specialness, from their own divinity, and they've objectified you beyond what is reasonable. You know, you're not a person to them. You're like a deity. You're an object. You're a false idol, and they're worshiping at the altar of you, and that is inherently dehumanizing. You know, that means that they're not going to understand if you're tired and you get short with them because you're tired of meeting people because you've been meeting people all day. They're not going to understand. If, you know, you're supposed to be off the clock and they want you to stay longer and there are people who do it, but there are also people who work through their lunch breaks, even though they shouldn't, there are people who never take care of themselves and call in sick when they need to. Like there are always people who are the pick me's of capitalism, who are always going to go above and beyond and make people with boundaries look bad. But that just means that they are also detached from self-love and self-care and their own like life force energy you know what I mean and so to think that anything is personal like the good the bad the ugly (laughs) the toxic is really just a misunderstanding and that's not to say like if you feel like something is personal like obviously if someone is abusing the hell out of you that feels fucking personal if someone is bullying you that feels personal and even if someone is like super in love with you you know is like over the top in love with you and like worships the ground you walk on in a romantic sense and like takes really good care of you even that is not personal you know it's it's all about one's relationship within and this has been a really important like lesson for me to learn in regard to romantic love because i always thought of romantic love as something outside of me like i always thought of it as like something someone was doing to me or like like inspiring in me, that it had everything to do with the other person, and and it wasn't like, I don't know, that I would, I would sort of fixate it on one person, and I wouldn't always understand that, like, <laughs> I remember, if you haven't listened to my Limerence episode, my Unrequited Love episode, go listen to that for more of the story, but when I was in Limerence with someone who who either didn't love me back or couldn't love me back or is incapable of love. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's not personal. <laughs> uh, I used to think, like, he... This person is, like, inspiring this in me, and, and, and I haven't felt this way about anyone else. And, like, you know, he's so special. He's so great. Like, he's just a dream and blah, 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 blah. And, and I thought it was like him specifically. And, and I did realize that like, you know, you never love the same way twice that like each connection is different than every other connection before. And no two connections are the same, but, and you know, he was the type of person who maybe was like anxious avoidant or something. And so he would give me these little breadcrumbs and be like, you know, make me think that maybe there was hope or make me think that maybe there was more there. And then when I would try to like be real about it, I would get shot down every time. And so it left me feeling really crazy. I was just like, I'm insane. (laughs) I'm making this all up in my head. And then I came to the conclusion of like, just because our love wasn't real, like my love was real. You know, this is the way I love. I'm romantic. I write my the subject of my affections. Like I write them poetry. I like love to take care of them. I love to hear how their day was. Like I love to have deep conversation. I love to spend quality time. I'm like, you know, freaking the streets and freaking the sheets like that. I love to like give. I'm a very generous, like loving person. And if I take a bird's eye view and I get out of myself and I get out of the personal or the projection of the feelings I'm this way with everyone this is how I love I have an open heart I love to give I love to show up for people I love to help them out I love to get to know them I love to give them quality time I love to receive the fullness of them without judgment I love to like really shout their good qualities from the rooftops i love to like gently help them through this life and i love to receive their help and and support in return so like you know, I was projecting a lot onto this person and they definitely did wake me up to my own capacity to love the depth of my ability to love. It taught me that I am a good partner. I do know how to love, you know, look how much I can give if I'm getting nothing in return. Imagine if I was getting something in return. So it did sort of like open the door to me understanding my own like infinite reservoir of love within and I think sometimes we need something that's unrequited or unfulfilled to see that because there's you know when you take away the illusion you're looking in the mirror and that's what I mean when I say it's never personal is that like if you take away okay let's get metaphysical for a second like if we are all one which we are You are made of the same stars that make the soil and the plants and the sky and your neighbor and your mom. Like, we are made of the same shit. And if you break life down to the tiny, tiniest, like, atom, everything is made of that, right? So, we are all just moving atoms, which is so weird to think about. you know writing with a pen made of atoms on paper made of atoms with ink made of atoms and we cuddle with our partner and it's just a bunch of atoms like you if, if you broke everything down to like a molecular level it would all look like one big jumbled mess of atoms you know <laughs> and and so in that way we are, all, are 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 all one and any separation is an illusion and if that's the case and you can remove the the illusion of of separateness that it's all you with you it's all me with me and maybe like i know main character syndrome is kind of like not a good way to exist in the world because it makes you really selfish and it makes you only see others as like side characters in your main story arc but on the other hand like it is kind of that like you meet people who help you grow and who challenge you and who who call out your wounds and who guide you towards healing either on purpose or or not you know (laughs) they either fuel you with love or spite and and some are temporary you know you'll like travel parallel to someone for a while and then you'll go your separate ways and then There will be another person who carries you along a leg of your journey as you are carrying them on a leg of yours. And then maybe you go your separate ways and then maybe you come back together later as more mature beings and you have more work to do. But ultimately, all of our purposes (laughs) here, your greatest purpose here is to know yourself, is to love yourself, is to embrace the totality of yourself and to do so compassionately and gratefully and joyfully. And so everything you go through is about you. Um, If, you know, if someone, this is what I I think sometimes when like I'm out and someone's being like insufferably rude and it irritates me to no end. And I'm like, you know, I want to be mad at this person. I want to like curse their very name and their whole bloodline. (laughs) You know, I feel like I want bad things to happen to them because why are you like this in the world? And then I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm just tired because I didn't sleep enough last night. (laughs) But that's not to say that it isn't frustrating to move through the world when 95% of people are fucking sleepwalking. Like, they don't know where they are. They don't know where their bodies are in relation to other people. There's no consideration. There's no politeness. There's no compassion there's no patience there's no forethought there's no connecting with each other on a human level because they don't even see that you're a person they're just like you're another object in my way I don't notice your day it's like when when you go out to dinner with like someone who's kind of narcissistic and entitled and rude and they just like run the server ragged and they're so rude to them and they just like do the absolute most And then they want to give them a shitty tip in the end because their, you know, soda wasn't refilled enough or whatever. And it's like, they're a person like (laughs) they might be having a bad day, you know, maybe they're on their period or maybe they got into a fight with their partner last night or, you know, maybe their kid is sick. You don't fucking know. And to you know, be on your high horse sitting in judgment. It's just like, you're asleep. You're not tapped into compassion. It's like, I know I've gone on this rant so many times on this podcast. So just bear with me, but like, how can you knowing the earth is hurting and is like turning on us <laughs> and that in- extinction might be imminent um, for humans. How do you know that even on a, like even maybe not on the surface, even if you just like, you hear that information, how do you go the other way? How do you continue looking for fossil fuels? How do you just double down on that tactic? Unless you're utterly unconscious, you know, unless you're asleep at the wheel, like you just, you're not here, you're not feeling, you're not connecting, you're not present. How do you buy into the material illusion of money? Like a thing that we literally made up. It's so wild to me that like we evolved from God knows what (laughs) on this planet. We learned how to use tools. We learned how to build, you know, communities. We, we figured out so much, like, look at, look at what happens In a lifetime. I remember when I was young, my grandma always used to say, like, I've lived through so much. You know, she lived through like segregation and integration. She lived through Kennedy, Beatlemania, uh, Marilyn Monroe, (laughs) like uh, Clinton's, like the birth of rap music, Um, you know, feminism. Like, she she had lived through so much in her time on this earth like look how much changes in a lifetime and that is a miracle and and with all that power and all that intelligence and all that innovation and all that potential and we were like let's invent taxes like <laughs> it's absurd it's truly absurd we created these rules and laws and illusions. And then we believe in them so hard that we don't see anything else that we actually act against our own best interests and literal survival to continue to perpetuate the illusion. And that is just wild to me. If that's not an indication that people are asleep at the wheel, I don't know what it's like. It's so beautiful to know that you could change your mind at any time, to know that you could change the course of your life at any time, to know that you can pull the escape, (laughs) like pull the parachute cord and jump out of, of this version of your life and do something else is like the most liberating, like truth to know. And yet so many people resist it or avoid it or, or pretend that it isn't so, or don't accept it. It's like, you know, I also want to do an episode titled what you resist persists and talk about it from a political standpoint of like, you know, for progress to work, all you have to do is surrender to it. All you have to do is not resist it because it's going to happen. Like evolution is a thing. Sorry, Christians. Um, (laughs) Evolution is a thing. It's a truth. Like, this is what... Look at the Olympics. Like, every time a gymnast can do... 17 more flips in the air. It's like that is proof of human evolution to me, you know? The the gymnasts from the 80s wouldn't stand a chance. They wouldn't even get into the Olympics compared to the gymnasts today or the ice skaters or whatever. Like we are evolving before our very eyes and we like don't see it because we're so busy looking back and glorifying and romanticizing a past that wasn't even good. Like it's always better in the new direction. It's always better in the new direction. <laughs> The devil, you know, is always worse than the devil. You don't actually, because like, if you change, even if the change isn't for the better, you know, like even if you fail while you're changing, even if you, um, you're just living to die another metaphorical death, like you're still growing, you're still learning. If you stay in the same small town that you've always lived in, if you never take a chance, not that everyone has to move from their same small town, but it's just like, You know, there are those people who never take a chance. It's like Pam from The Office. You know, she, it takes her so long to make a change. It takes her so long to leave Roy and realize she loves Jim. It takes her so long to want to change her life. And she does it in increments. And every time she tries, the first time it gets hard, she gives up. And then at the end, she's like, damn, I almost lost everything because I was afraid of change. And like, I really got to work on this. And it's like, yeah. Baby, we've been watching you do this for nine seasons and it has gotten old. (laughs) But we all know people like that, you know? And at the same time, you know people who like, who don't have anything, who just like, who make, who spin gold out of thin air all the time, who just change and change and change and grow and grow and grow and never allow themselves to be stuck no matter their circumstances and, and take every opportunity to to become the best versions of themselves in this moment. And that is inspiring to me. And those are the people who have woken up, who have taken control of their life, who have surrendered to progress and surrendered to change and realize the infinite growth that we're all experiencing. Like whether you like it or not, whether you pay attention to it or not, like whether you inject your face with vials full of Botox until it's frozen or not. We're all getting older. We our bodies are growing every second from the second we're conceived. We're growing and changing and becoming. And that's as it should be. Um real quick, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production flight of the final girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk. It's flight of the final girl. Anywhere. Books are sold. Welcome back. So, so let's talk about taking the philosophy of it's never personal, the truth, the little nugget of wisdom that it is and taking it into our everyday lives and like how it can benefit you or, or, you know, shield you from unnecessary drama. (laughs) Um, so I was talking about like my limerent relationship and how, I realized that like even though the love between us might not have been real, I might have made the whole thing up. <laughs> uh, my love was real. So what I took from that was like, I am love. I am a loving being. Like the the love, like romantic love is just one manifestation of the consciousness that is love. Anyone who's done any kind of psychedelic, knows that love is everything there is. You know that all there is is love, really. If you if you're in tune with the frequency of love, you see that the sun is love, that water is love, that that everything carries a signature of love. If you pay attention throughout your day and you get out of that grumbly capitalism induced like haze of like I remember remember like I'm so grumpy, I hate the world, life is so inconvenient, everything's so annoying. If you can get out of that space and tune into love, you you see people being so sweet and so kind. You hear like a parent having a lovely conversation with your kid. You see someone helping someone else out. Let me tell you this story real quick. Okay. So last weekend I went to a foraging class in in a park with my partner and she'd been dying. She's been dying to do a foraging class for like years and years and years. And I'm new to the game, but I love that the idea of just like eating plants off the ground and like plant medicine and all that kind of stuff, just like way up my alley. So we went on a whim and, and it was such a fun time, like to be in New York city, like eating plants off the ground, learning about plant medicine, like just, it was magic. I cried at least four times. I was just, like, having a fucking blast. Also, any lesbians or, like, uh, you know, whatever, sapphics or (laughs) people who are romantically interested in women, um, it was full of lesbians, like, chock full. Uh, foraging classes are a good place to meet women. (laughs) (laughs) Just FYI. I was so shocked by how clear the tour was. Um, So we're standing around learning about poison ivy and the plant that like provides an antidote to poison ivy, which is called jewelweed. And wouldn't you know, they grow in the same spot. Isn't that interesting? So we're standing there listening to this whole speech by this old man named wild man Steve Brill. He's a genius. Um, and these teens, these like really cool looking skateboarder, bro, teens roll up on their skateboards. And I am just like already rolling my eyes, just like, Oh, Oh, here comes some teens. I'm just like (laughs) such an old fucking bitch. And they stop and listen for a second. And one of them goes, hey what's this y'all are doing what are you listening to and somebody's like oh it's a foraging class and the guy was like oh word that's valid (laughs) that's so valid (laughs) and then these all four of them just like stopped and listened for a minute and one of them was like this guy's a genius and they just like listen and then they they just go about their way and I was like how fucking cute was that like so just that's valid like stop to listen to a foraging class and then be impressed by this like old man in safari gear like geeking out about plants it's just like I was such a cute moment and that's what i'm talking about like if you tune into the frequency of love if you allow yourself to be fully present if you're in if you're in the flow of your intuition if you're if you're embodying your divinity as much as you possibly can from moment to moment you will encounter moments like that that just make you feel like humans aren't bad like <laughs> we make bad choices, but there is something beautiful in us. Like there is something beautiful in the connection we share with one another. And everyone here is the love. Like we're embodying love. We're embracing love. We're being love. And like, so we have attracted these like little high vibrational moments, these magic little moments that remind us like how beautiful the world is. And and that's what i'm talking about when i say when i say that love is all there is or like love is the law it's like if you strip life down to its most beautiful like little moments it's that it's always that and we we walk around in these hazes of like we're tired we're worried we're stressed out life is fucking terrible you know there's at least half a country's worth of people who want you dead if you're marginalized. Like it's, it's fucking tough. And, and every day the odds seem stacked against you and to survive on the daily is a feat of strength. And sometimes to think, even think about thriving, is just like, how do I even get there? Like I'm running on 2% every day of my life and I get that, but I'm just saying that when you see, when just pay attention to your world, like that's all presence is, is paying attention. And if you pay attention to your world, you might be able to catch a magic moment that will, that will give you what you need to get you to the next one. And that's where gratitude lies. That's where happiness lies. That's where joy lies. And you can find it wherever you are right now. Um, So allow yourself to open up to that. And if you carry that with you, it will will not prevent you from being a grumpy old bitch. I was about to just, like, be so upset at these teens. (laughs) I just assumed the worst of them, right? But then I was pleasantly surprised, and I allowed myself to be pleasantly surprised. And thank goodness for that moment. Thank goodness for those teens, and thank goodness for that foraging class. Um... So when I'm in conflict with someone or, or when, you know, I used to really be super like really rooted in black and white thinking and, and this is, you know, black and white thinking, I think is a, it's a, an immaturity thing. Like you, it's really hard to embrace nuance when you're young. Um, it's also like an early to social justice thing. It's also a, uh, an autism thing (laughs) and it's a trauma thing. So I was getting it from all angles. Like I, I came by it honest, this black and white thinking. And, um, and so like in a, um, in a situation where, you know, there was a conflict present, I would always choose sides a hundred percent of the time. And I wouldn't always choose like the right side and when i was in a conflict with someone else i would expect people to choose sides because i did now if i again if i can like get out of myself and look at it from a bird's eye view i mean obviously you would you would hope that if you were being abused that nobody who loved you would <laughs> would stay neutral you know like you would hope that's it's really hurtful when someone stays neutral or even like gravitates further towards the person that abused you which has happened to me many many times it feels like a deep betrayal it's betrayal on top of betrayal it's not being believed it's like super triggering but when I bird's eye view it I'm like this is not personal. Like this person doesn't know the extent of what happened. This person may have their own issues with people who are abusive. And that's why they're drawn to this person. This person may not believe someone who's saying they were abused because they don't understand the dynamics of abuse because yeah, they don't know how bad it was. They might not like me, you know, I might rub them the wrong way or me owning my victimhood may make them feel a type of way because they haven't owned theirs yet. Like there's so many perspectives those people could be coming from. Now, am I saying stay friends with someone who's friends with your abuser? Absolutely not. Like you don't have to be friends with anybody. You can cut anyone off at any time and feel great about it. I certainly have. <laughs> um and for me, a lack of loyalty is a deal breaker because I am extremely loyal. But I I didn't have to take it as a betrayal. I didn't have to feel it as a betrayal. Instead, now when it happens, I think I go through the list exactly what I just said to you. You know, this person is probably more attracted to an abuser than they are to me because they have some stuff they haven't healed. I have been the person who was more attracted to the abuser than the person who was actually loving me. I have been that person more than once i have been that person many times i have been toxically loyal to someone who was a snake in the motherfucking grass like i know what it's like to be a flying monkey i know what it's like to be under the spell of someone abusive because they feel powerful and because you feel safe being close to them and i also know what it feels like to feel like i'm the special one who can handle this person and everyone else is a punk ass and so if I am in my right mind, I, I understand where the person is coming from and I wouldn't require so much of them, or at least I wouldn't take it so personally if they couldn't be loyal in the way that I needed. But also if someone doesn't have the courage to be loyal the way that I need, then I'm okay with letting them go. You know, if you want to be friends with that person, be friends with that person, but I'm not really going to like let you close to me because my presence is a present (laughs) and I hold my mental health and my self-love as sacred. I'm very careful with who I let close to me. Another way that this can play out is like, um, you know, I had this friend once, I think I've talked about this before. I had this friend once who was like a lot, maybe like seven years younger than me. He was a lot younger than me. And we were kind of, like, doing the New York artist thing together, and and he was, like, definitely narcissistic, like, really in love with himself, just, like, super condescending, like, never had anything nice to say about anybody, but had this, like, really deep well of insecurity that I could just feel, and, and I also, like, when I meet a young artist, or at least when I, <laughs> when I used to be out, you know, meeting people, um... I would always feel a certain responsibility to, like, be the person I needed but didn't have. Like, it would have been so nice to have a mentor, someone to, like, teach me the ropes, to teach me how to, like, use a microphone or how to record an album or, like, anything, just to give me, like, information and, like... And just be a sense of support, someone I could ask questions to, and like someone who could tell me that I was good, you know, because it was like the wild west when I was coming up. Like I had none of that. In fact, I was in collaboration with people who wouldn't give me any of that. It was like dry as a bone. So I really like being like a mentor. It's a good feeling, and I think that is the like the beauty of surviving long enough to be like an elder, a queer elder, like an artist elder whatever. Um, and he was someone who like expected everyone around him to not take his bullshit personally, but he took everything extremely personally. And I talk about double standards in that toxic friends episode. So definitely go check that out. If you're like intrigued by that, um, sort of analysis of a toxic friendship, but the double standard was like, tough to deal with and there were a couple times where like i was faltering or struggling or just needed alone time or needed to be an individual away from him because i know that's healthy and i know that's like what i need out of a friendship and and also like i think it's important to not hitch your wagon to someone else's like creative horse because (laughs) we're individuals you know and i want to give someone else a chance to shine as much as i want a chance to shine and and he just was like clinging like just couldn't didn't trust that he'd be okay on his own and also just like couldn't understand my fallibility and and this comes from objectifying someone, dehumanizing someone, putting someone on a pedestal. I've had this happen to me many times where like someone has me up on a pedestal. And the second I show myself to be human, they're like, that's it. I'm out. You suck. You're not who you said you were. This was false fucking advertising. Like you're supposed to be perfect. Meanwhile, they are a whole mess. And expect me never to get upset, never to get mad, never to get in my feelings. And I usually don't because I usually can understand that it's never personal, (laughs) Um, but they can't. And he just like was so paranoid that like everything, every time I faltered, he took it extremely personally, even if it was just like, I'm having a flare up and I can't show up today. Or I got lost and I'm late or whatever. And I could not convince him that it wasn't personal. And, you know, I think that it's really, like, a disservice how much of a trope, like, it's not you, it's me, has become. Because people are like, well, it has to be me, you know? But it might not be. Like, I think it's a really mature, like, self-aware thing to be like, I really like you. I really like hanging out with you and knowing you, but like, I'm not ready for a relationship right now. That is a very, it's not you, it's me type of sentiment, you know, Mm -hmm. or even like, I want to, like, I'm curious about, you know, exploring this, but I'm not over my ex yet, or, (laughs) or I'm going through a lot right now, or I don't have the time to date someone or whatever. Like, that was something that I have taken personally in the past because we all carry big ass rejection wounds. Like who amongst us hasn't been rejected and probably hasn't like probably our first rejection was our parents. It was definitely the case with mine. And I couldn't always hold space for someone's truth in that way. I always thought like, it has to be me. It has to be something I'm doing. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. You know, I, I really need like everyone needs. I do a pretty good job of being self-assured of giving myself props, you know, of holding myself up of, of not needing external validation because I can just like be committed to my purpose and do the damn thing. And I know I'm good at what I do and like but everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs love. Everyone needs support. Everyone needs like a, Hey, you're doing a good job every now and then. And I'm telling you, all I do not get it that often (laughs) and it bothers me. But at the same time, like, you know, I've told my, my partner has been, was, was one of my best friends before we started dating. And she, She makes a point to like share my podcast episodes or my music or whatever, because simply because she knows it's important to me. She's like, you know, you've talked about it. You've told me it's important to you. You've told me it hurts your feelings when people don't. And so I do it. But if I didn't know that, if I hadn't heard you talk about that, I wouldn't do it because I just wouldn't think about it. Now rewind six months (laughs) before she told me that. And I was taking it so personally that people weren't sharing my work, that people weren't supporting me, that people weren't shouting me from the rooftops, that I wasn't getting any external validation in the way I needed. And then she tells me that and I'm like, oh, it's not personal. It's not a vendetta against me. It's not a conspiracy against me. It's not people who don't support me or who are embarrassed by the work I do. They just don't think to do it and like that's a perfect example of like it's never personal on uh you know even on a like a really terrible like abuse level or even like a you know sort of a like a political level um it's (laughs) it's always a war within the person that is being taken out on you. Like when an abuser love bombs you and then intermittently will give you the love and validation you need and then pull it away to get you trauma bonded to them or when they put distance between you and all your other relationships so that you're totally isolated and beholden to them or when they're extremely jealous anytime you have any kind of connection to anyone else or when they don't even want you to have a dream or a passion outside of the relationship you know when they want to monopolize you entirely when they punish you with the silent treatment when they yell and scream at you when they break your things like you know that it feels personal but the reality is they would treat anyone they were with that way. And that's why, you know, I used to be in this boat too, or like, you know, someone who abused me and I was in a ro- romantic relationship with them, they moved on so quickly. And I was just like destroyed. I couldn't even think about love or a relationship. I was like truly broken down. And they just like moved on right away and replaced me so fast. And then it's just like, here come the selfies of how happy they are. And like, oh, they're so grateful they're with someone else and not with stinky old me who was ruining their life. And just like, you know, just, oh my God, knife to my heart. Like it just, Crushed me, but now I know, and I tell people this all the time when they're struggling with this like, it could be anyone. Like, you were just another placeholder, you were just another person to project upon, you were just someone to control because this person doesn't know how to be alone, doesn't know how to take care of themselves, doesn't know how to love themselves. They need someone to control. Um, in order to feel like anything, in order to feel alive. And that comes from trauma and, or like, that just comes from issues, you know? Uh, Someone who needs to manipulate someone into sticking around instead of just like treating them right (laughs) is clearly not working with, you know, a secure attachment is not trusting that they're worthy of love. And I'm not saying this as like feel sorry for your abusers I'm just saying it's not personal like it feels like they saw you they exploited you they learned about all your buttons they pushed every single one of them and then they discarded you because you weren't good enough and they moved on to someone else who's even better but they're going to do the same thing to that person because abuse um has a an expiration date it's not something that lasts forever unless they find a truly like Unless they find someone who's never going to stand up to them and who's never going to expect more and who's never going to grow and change and heal themselves and get the fuck out, um, it rarely lasts forever. And when it does, I feel so sorry for the people it does with because, like I was talking about with my grandpa, like you don't, you can't reach your full potential when you're in an abusive relationship. You can't love yourself when someone is like destroying every bit of light within you you can watch, I have this, um, song I wrote about my sister when she was in her like very first abusive relationship. And it was a really painful time because we all knew it. We all knew that she was being abused, but like, she didn't know it. And I watched like all the light and joy and beauty and like fun and just every, she just became a shell, you know? And so I wrote this song that was like, where is your light, sister, where is your light? That man stole it, hid it right out of sight. Replaced it with worry on your pretty face. Please get it back, sister, before it's too late there's many verses to it, but you know, that's the, the pain of like seeing someone really broken down and seeing like these wedges so strategically placed between them and all their other close relationships. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's really painful to watch someone else go through. It's really painful to go through and I think learning that it's not personal and like that's why an abuser moves on so quickly and why you're so replaceable to them and even though they told you you were soulmates and you were destined to be together and like they couldn't live without you and all this stuff it's important to keep in mind and really to wrap this episode up like that truth that it's never personal has been so helpful to me in conflict because I can really understand where the other person is coming from and even if they're projecting on me and even if they're, you know, <laughs> got their fists up and they're super defensive and they don't know where they're coming from or like they don't know it's not personal, I can see it from a, a higher perspective and I can see what I'm taking personally and I can take that out of it and get to the core of the issue and then it's easy because if it's you and the you and the other person against the issue you're not at war there's no need to fight it's just like we have a problem let's work together to solve it and that has really been life changing for me you know i really i used to avoid conflict at all costs <laughs> like I, this is what people pleasing is. This is what codependence is. It's like being so scared of conflict because you're traumatized by it. You've never seen productive conflict. You've never seen people actually talk through things. And you know, my family handled everything with gossip. Like nothing was dealt outright. Not everything was swept under the rug. And then you would talk to other people about it and get and feel better get a cathartic experience that way instead of just like resolving it and so nothing ever got resolved everything was just fuel for the gossip and that was basically it and it was just everything was a chance for someone to feel martyred and everyone else to feel like the bad guy and whether that was the truth or not And I just, I never learned how to have conflict. When I was a kid, I was so angry. So my conflict would always like escalate to a, like a really unhealthy place. And then once I kind of put that away, I just avoided it at all costs. And I would do things that were against my own best interests I would agree to things that I didn't really agree with. I would lose myself entirely in relationships. And that made me sort of a target or a magnet for abusive people, for unavailable people, for people who either weren't interested in or basically couldn't meet my needs. And I would always be like, this is fine. I'm going to be fine. I can handle this. As if I'm some like special person who like has the ability to, to tolerate you know, unacceptable things. (laughs) And, and as I've learned that things are not personal, you know, and that you can speak your truth without being unkind and that it's not mean to have boundaries. And like my boundaries aren't personal. Like the fact that I need a significant amount of alone time that doesn't mean I don't like spending time with people that doesn't mean I don't love the people I spend time with and that doesn't mean that I'm not having fun when I choose to spend time with people if I don't if I can't always answer a text like I'm I don't mean to ignore anyone I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad I just like struggle with that sort of thing and I know it's not personal and maybe the other person doesn't so I can throw them some reassurance or like an explanation but I need to like take care of myself and I can't really expect I can't have expectations of myself that are too high and I always try to be honest with everyone that loves me that's in contact with me um, the ways that I struggle. And when they tell me the ways that they struggle, I keep it in mind. And so when someone says to me, you know, I'm a really anxious person and, uh, I really need to talk things out. Like immediately, I try to do my best to facilitate that because I don't want to push those buttons. You know, I want to hold a soft space for them. I want to hold a compassionate place for them. And if someone is like, willing to be vulnerable enough with me to let me know the ways they struggle. Of course I'm going to accommodate that. And I expect the same in return. And that's not mean it's not too much to ask. It doesn't make me less lovable, but what it does do is it makes me, (laughs) it makes me off limits to people who exploit others. It makes me off limits to people who can't handle boundaries. It makes me off limits to people who take everything extremely personally, Um, when the call is coming from inside the motherfucking house, you know, (laughs) I have done so much work on my rejection wound because when my rejection wound gets triggered, I take everything personally, you know, I... I feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Used to, I know I've talked about this on the show before, but used to the second I had an inkling of romantic feelings towards another person, they were up on a pedestal and I was down under the dirt. I couldn't think of any redeeming qualities I had. I couldn't think of any reason why they would ever love me back. I just lost all my self-esteem and like that's because of my fear of rejection that's because of my fear of abandonment that's because of my own like disconnection to my own self-worth and once i started working on that and i realized like oh nobody's any better than me nobody's any worse than me like all i can do is show up authentic i can't force anyone to love me nor can i like run someone off who really cares about me and loves me. Like anyone who flees from me for being real or being myself or anyone who doesn't like who I am, what business do I have chasing them down? Like (laughs) there are people out here who would love me. In fact, I love myself. And so what I want you to take from this episode is just that like, just knowing that it's never personal that even when it feels personal even when it feels like a personal attack or it feels like someone's really going in on you or you can't do anything right or someone's mistreating you just know it has nothing to do with you it's that person being at war with themselves and you can't save them. You can't stop them from doing that. You can't love them out of it. Like that is up, for, up to them to figure out. And it's up to you to figure out the war going on with yourself. So if you liked this topic, don't forget to tune in next week for the other aspect of it, which is the call is coming from inside the house and I'll share some tools, some strategies, some tips for self-awareness and yeah, we'll get into it. As you move through life, remember that you are divine, you are complete, you are love, you have everything you need inside you and that it is never personal. The Walk-On Podcast is a production of Walk-On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash brit dash canon. You can also go to my website, brittcannon.me to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk-On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album, Shiny Silver Snakes, that I made with my good friend, Lokomoko. You can find... Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings mentorship services if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology and you can also access my self-love course which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself there are journal prompts guided meditations self-care rituals letter writing assignments and a whole lot more Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.